And please turn in your Bibles to Acts, Acts chapter 12. I'm going to read for us verses 18 through 25. Tonight we're looking at only verses 18 and 19. And once again, listen to the Lord's word. <clears throat> now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Now he was, a, he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, The voice of a god and not of a man! And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and died. And the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. This is the Lord's word. Would you bow with me and let's ask the Lord's help. Again, Father, we thank you for this night. And again, we thank you for your word to be able to read it. We thank you, Father, for the hymns that we get to sing. We ask, Father, now that your blessing will be upon this servant, upon your word going forward, and upon these, your people, who've, who've gathered here this evening. I pray that your blessing be upon them all, us all, uh, as we again look into your word. We pray for your spirit's blessing and his presence with us to give us understanding of how these things may apply to our lives. And so I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, you've all heard of the term karma. It's a, it's a phrase that's very popular, and if you get hooked on YouTube videos, um, you will oftentimes see a video that says something about bad karma. The idea of karma, at least in the popular sense, and I'm not sure that the Hindus with, uh, with whom this, this term originates, I'm not sure they would say this is what it is, but in the popular meaning, um, it is of a, a, a fate or destiny resulting from one's previous actions, be it good or bad. And so, for instance, you will see a video of a rude driver speeding past someone making gestures along the way, and as soon as he passes, he swings back into the other lane and he hits a telephone pole or he runs off the road or something like this. And the video says this is an instance, an example of bad karma. It is the idea of, uh, that we say in the popular uh, terms of what goes around comes around. Uh, this is not what the scriptures teach. Karma <clears throat> is fate. And it's based upon um, the, the idea of fate is based upon mythology and the three goddesses. It's they who determine the course of human life in classical mythology. Fate itself is impersonal. It is the will or principle or determining cause by which things in general are believed to come to be as they are or events to happen as they do. Someone reading this passage that we just read tonight, verses 18 through 25, would likely state in, in a modern understanding that this is a perfect example of bad karma. It's a perfect example of bad karma, of fate. 
Fate has dealt these guards and Herod a bad blow for the evil that they have done. But it would certainly be wrong to say this, as it is not blind and impersonal fate that has dealt these blows, but rather our very personal, very just, and very faithful God who has vindicated his people against those who mistreat them. That's important for us to know. Um, It's important for us to remember because um, we are certainly watching antagonism towards the Lord and his people growing in our time and in our culture. And as we brought out last week with Psalm 73 and this past week being the week that all these elite leaders go to Davos and decide what's going to be acceptable and what's going to, I mean, they're pushing, actually pushing for hate speech that, that, that uh, create hate speech laws, which no doubt is going to come barreling down on the church at some point. <gasps> Oh no, what do we do? Oh no, the church is in trouble. I'm telling you, I'm finding so much freedom in these passages of scripture. I find such a joy and such a sweet freedom. I used to be so afraid. Oh no, what if you say something that's going to offend somebody? (laughs) You're You're never going to escape offending somebody if you just speak the truth in love. Somebody will find a reason to be offended with us. They will. And so it's pointless saying, I just won't say anything. It's pointless because if you say nothing, they'll still find something to be offended by. Uh, You gathered for church. I saw that they were pushing a man out. Where was he? He was wearing a Jesus. It was in a mall just this past week. Jesus saves. That's all he had. And the mall police came and said, you've got to leave. It's not, I hate this color person. It's not hate speech it's Jesus saves and they drove him out of a mall it's important for us to remember these things especially again as I mentioned as the we, we see these things that are barreling down at us fear grips us and we do question what will happen to us what will happen to the church because of uh, because of men, because of government officials who use their authority and possession or positions rather to suppress the Lord's people and to position themselves for greater advantage. And this is the background of Acts chapter 12. This is exactly what uh, Herod Agrippa did. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword when he saw that it pleased the Jews. You see, he's, he's a political opportunist. When he sees that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And he, and he does so with the intention of bringing Peter out before the people after the Passover as some kind of political theater. I mean, this is nothing new. This is exactly the kind of thing that we see going on today. Do we need to be intimidated? Do we need to be shut down with uh, fear? Will men stop the church? Will their crimes against the church go undealt with or unrequited? The answer is most certainly no. No. So Luke records what the Lord has done to those who troubled his people, both through his providence and, as we will see next week, through his direct intervention. Notice in verses 18 and 19 that those who are complicit with evil will suffer the consequences of their evil. Those who are complicit with evil will suffer the consequences of their evil. And let me say, you may see it in this lifetime and you may not see it in this lifetime, but what you are, what we are guaranteed of is that evil will be dealt with. It most certainly 
will be dealt with. <clears throat> These are not happenstance type of things. Again, listen to verses 18 and 19. Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Then he went down to Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Again, Luke here records for us what transpired as a result of the Lord's angel rescuing Peter. <clears throat> it may seem like it's just filler verses, right? We <laughs> insert some verses here, but we should never approach the scriptures that way of, of saying, oh, there's just some extraneous verses that the Lord has, has stuffed in here. This is not what's happening. It starts with the coming of day. Now when day came. Remember, the guards had fallen asleep the night before with Peter securely fastened by chains to them. Guards located outside of the prison door. This was an impossible situation, impenetrable. Peter was not going to get out of jail like the, the disciples had earlier. And I tried to imagine what this, what this must seem like it started perhaps with one guard sitting uh, where he had fallen asleep and the other guard sitting where he had fallen asleep and this big space between the two, two of them where Peter had been sitting. Chains had bound his wrists and they were fastened to these, these guards and they're sleeping. And, and one, you know, he's stretching, he moves his arm and you hear the scraping of a chain across a stone floor. Boy. That moved awfully easy. He peeks and he looks out the side. He starts to frantically look all around. It is sheer terror, sheer panic overcomes the one and he says, wake up, he's gone. Why did you fall asleep? He starts casting blame at the other guard. What were you doing? Where is he? Where did he go? And Luke writes, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. No small disturbance. Uh, NIV says, no small commotion. It's ironic because they're guards. What are they guarding? What have they done? Again, they're panicked, they're frustrated, they're full of fear as they have not done what they were supposed to do. There was a major upset in the jail. They do not know what could have become of Peter my friends, just a, a, it's a beautiful little reminder to us. Men may put forward their best efforts and make their most effective efforts at stopping the Lord's people. Nothing will come of it if the Lord is opposed to it. A simple, a simple lesson. There is nothing that's going to come to us that is going to be outside of the decree of God. That's a tremendous comfort to, to us. Nothing will come of anything that the Lord is opposed to. If the Lord opposes you, you will not accomplish what you have set out to do. And they certainly don't accomplish what they have set out to do, and that was to guard Peter. Conversely, friends, the harm or the pain that does come to us comes to us through the loving decrees of our sovereign God who works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Remember, at the beginning of 12, James himself was put to death. That was the sovereign decree of the Lord. And, and we, can, we can say, praise the Lord. 
his, his decree was done. James lived for just that moment, and James was fine being going to the Lord. And we can say Peter too. When we started uh, Acts chapter 12, looking at it, what is Peter doing when he's arrested? He's sleeping. He's sleeping. He's not worried. If the Lord gives me life, great. If the Lord decides to take my life, even better. Even better. So we can find great rest in this and that nothing is, is going to happen to us apart from the will of the Lord. We're told that this news, somehow this news has reached Herod. Did he send for Peter and they had to say, we can't find him? Or, or was the disturbance so great in the jail that news had reached Herod's uh, ears? We don't know. But we can imagine that Herod's great concern, because remember, he's, he's got interest in this. He's locked him up so that he can parade him around after the Passover and make an example of him and put a hurt on the church. Herod has a vested interest in this thing. He doesn't want Peter missing. So they can't find him, and Herod searches for him. You can almost imagine Herod saying to them, you find him now, we will talk later. And so uh, Luke records that Herod searched for him. Um, we, we ought to think of this as Herod's soldiers uh, did the looking. Again, his reputation is on the line with this. We must find him. He has got to be somewhere here in Jerusalem. Men don't just vanish into thin air. One commentator points out, undoubtedly the soldiers searched the houses of prominent believers and questioned numerous Christians about Peter's escape. However, the search proved to be futile. And, and Luke, as Luke says this very thing, and they did not find him or had not found him. Herod examines the guards. How could Peter have escaped? The guards were there in place. They were chained. Men were stationed at the gates. This was an impenetrable and indeed an, even an impossible situation to escape. He investigates. He examines the guards. He interrogates them. Are they lying? Are they complicit? Are they covering up something? Have they been negligent? How did this man escape? And of course, what are the guards supposed to say being examined? We don't know. We don't know. The chains were secure, the gates were locked. We fell asleep, but we always fall asleep, and no one has ever escaped before. And when we woke up, he was gone. Herod, Herod is examining them to find out what, what's going on. And, and then Luke writes, Herod ordered that they be led away to execution, which is the meaning of this phrase in this instance. For the guards to allow... A prisoner to escape was considered a capital offense and punishable by death. We see this very thing in Acts chapter 16 with the Philippian jailer who was afraid after there was an earthquake and the doors were open and, and uh, he figured, oh no, I'm now going to be put to death. As, as one commentator notes, this should not be considered an extraordinary cruelty on the part of Herod um, for having these guards executed. It was simply an application of Roman military law with which he was familiar. My friends, in God's providence, these guards who were complicit with the persecution of James and Peter and the church now meet with their own deaths. How the tables have turned. Now you may be saying or thinking, this isn't fair. 
This is not fair. They did not let Peter go. This was wrong for them to suffer for something they couldn't help. And we feel that their lives were just cut short just for doing their jobs, that this is the epitome of um, injustice. But I would encourage you not to feel sorry for them. They were complicit with an evil king in persecuting the Lord's people. They were complicit uh, in persecuting the Lord's people. And, and being that they were the Lord's people, these remember, they were arrested. They weren't arrested for being murderers or thieves or evil evildoers. The Christians were lovely people. They were an adornment to society and to culture. Why would we persecute them? Why would we, why would we make their lives difficult? What, what would you have the guards to do, some may ask? Disobey? Exactly. To disobey an evil order. Like Shifra and Pua, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like Daniel, to speak up and say, I can't, I won't do this, this is wrong. This is what should have, uh, this is what should have been done. You heard about the hockey player, again, not celebrating the, the gay pride night. By the way, they sold out on all of his jerseys. <laughs> I guess um, people aren't as big a fan as they were hoping. Um, but he suffered, he suffered hardship for this, for taking a principled stand and saying, I'm not going to do it. <clears throat> Friends, as the Lord's people in this culture, we do need to speak out against evil. We do need to oppose evil. We don't go along to get along. What's at stake is the witness of the gospel. What does it mean to be light? What does it mean to be salt? If we're just going to go along with people when there is sin at stake, we mustn't do it. We must speak. We must say, no, it's not right. This is, this is wrong. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, great quote, Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. I think that's a true statement. James says it like this, To the one who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. James 4.17 uh, They would have suffered, some will argue, and I would say yes, they probably would have suffered had they spoken up. Uh, but better to suffer at the hands of men than at the hand of God. And so we are confronted by these situations in life where we say it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant to speak up. It's not pleasant these positions that we in God's providence get, get put into. But those are tests given to us. They are tests that we are supposed to face. And, and, and the way we approach them is we are to fear God more than we are to fear men. We are to do what is pleasing in the eyes of the Lord instead of what is doing expedient what is expedient or pleasing in the eyes of men. So yes, uh, one um, old reformer, Johannes Brent, said this, for suffering unjustly is not wicked. However, acting unjustly is truly wicked. Accordingly, it happens out of the just and fair judgment of God that these guards are punished. Friends, <clears throat> man does not know his time, said the writer of Ecclesiastes. 
Did these guards heed the message, the warnings of the gospel? Undoubtedly, Peter, I mean, he's got a captive audience, right? What's he doing that time? I guarantee you, Peter was sharing the gospel. But even, even if he hadn't been the one, these guards knew well the church and they knew the Christian society. And here, here they were, they had an opportunity to hear the gospel and to deal with the gospel, to deal with themselves and the gospel. Did they heed the message and the warnings of this gospel? We don't know. Perhaps in heaven we will meet a guard who took the heart, the urgings of Peter or of the early church to turn to Christ and be saved. But after death, it is too late. After death, we will face our judge and his judgment. And so while we can, we should heed the gospel. Finally, not only do the guards face judgment, but Herod himself has the wind removed from his sail. And then we are told by Luke, then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Herod was gearing up for a show. Again, back in verse 4, we are told this, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. Now Peter is not to be found, and Herod himself has suffered a defeat. This is humiliation. Again, if you just look at the beginning of chapter 12, and then you kind of see here in verse 19 what has happened. Um, and he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. He gets out of Dodge very quickly because all of a sudden he looks like a fool. He, he can't do anything to Peter like he was promising and like the anticipation was building. So he leaves Jerusalem and he goes away. Who's looking after the church? Who's looking after Peter? It was the Lord. The Lord was looking after him, and the Lord would not allow Peter, hand Peter over to Herod. Here Caesarea served as a headquarters for the Roman governors who ruled in Palestine. But Herod himself, though living in Jerusalem, he left town. His plans to injure the church by making a show of Peter were thwarted by the Lord. We looked last week at Psalm 73. Listen again to what the scriptures say in Psalm 37 verses 12 through 15. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy, to slay those who are upright in conduct. Their sword will enter their own heart, and their bows will be broken. And again, Psalm 2, verses 10 through 12. We hear this warning. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. We take these things for granted uh, that we read in Scripture. And it is no chance it is no accident that Luke has recorded what has occurred here for what has occurred in Acts chapter 12 is a great injustice to James um, it's a great injustice to Peter to the church that the government Herod the king should be persecuting them and and try to make sport of them to advantage himself 
it is no accident that these things are portrayed. So we, we look at this and we say, look, the Lord had, had these soldiers put to death. The Lord is, is showing us that I'm watching over my people. I'm watching over them in the midst. When we hear of persecution, when we see these things taking place, we can read this and we can take the heart. The Lord knows what's going on. And he is going to come, as the psalmist uh, speaks of, he is going to come and he is going to defend his people. And so as we face these things in the days to come, we shouldn't fear. We shouldn't fear. There is no need to fear. But what's going to happen is that we're going to take these things and we're just going to roll with them, really, is, is all we can do. When they come, we smile, we bless, instead of curse, we trust the Lord and we continue to speak of the Lord and we know that some of us he will take out and some of us he will deliver and move on and we will continue to spread the gospel. But being afraid, being silenced, being oppressed, suppressed, and being uh, quieted, these are not things that we are called to do. So we mustn't worry. There is no need. The Lord does not forget, nor is he blind to what the kings of the earth do to his people. He will not forsake us. Let's pray. Again, O oh Lord, we thank you for this evening and thank you for this brief but um, very plain passage of how you have dealt with the evil that was uh, doled out against your people. And we see this, Father, that you will not be mocked, that you are just and you do defend the righteous. We ask, Father, that we would guard our steps and that we would walk, Father, not as the world walks, but that we would live and walk in a manner that is pleasing to you, always entrusting ourselves to you, knowing, Lord, that you will care for us. We ask, Father, for um, open doors for the days ahead for us, for the gospel. We pray, Lord, that we would boldly and sweetly present and hold up Jesus Christ before the world. We ask that we would keep these passages uh, close at heart and that we would not forget how you have dealt and how you have cared for your people. I do ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.